Hey, thank you uh, for joining us online today. It is so great to be gathered together. My name is Jeff, one of the pastors here at Brookside, and we are thrilled to be gathered this morning. You know, I know many of you are gathered throughout our city, um, but we also know that people are gathering in states far away and literally around the globe. And so we want to welcome many of you back this morning, and then many of you for the very first time. We just want to say, we are so glad that you are able to join us here this morning. I also want to say this to the guys in Mod 7. You know, we have a campus at the Douglas County Correctional Center, and we are thrilled to still be doing services with you guys. And so we are for you, we love you, and uh, we haven't forgotten about you. We're glad that you also are here with us today. You know, the goal that, that we have every time that we meet together, particularly in this season, is we want to bring you truth and hope. We know that whenever we can come together and we can open up this book, we know that we're getting information all over the place these days. But what we're doing as we come together is we're saying, God, what is your truth? And then how does that truth, how does it reorient my week? Uh, how does the truth of God actually launch me into another week and give me a renewed sense of hope and direction and perspective? And so that's really our prayer um, for everyone this morning. We've been thinking a lot about you as this week, uh, weekend has approached. You know, what we're going to do today is we're going to dive uh, back into our series called Greater Than. And I'm so excited for the message uh, that we have before us, the text that we're going to look at. It is incredible. And it really leads us to think about God, I think, in a way that will help us particularly in the season that we're in. And so what I want to do right now is I just want to give you an opportunity to invite God to speak to you this morning. I want us to take an, a moment, and please do this wherever you are. Maybe you're in a living room or in your office or you're in your bedroom or your kitchen or maybe you're in a car. If you're in a car or when you pray, don't close your eyes. But wherever you are, would you, would you join with me now and let's just ask God to speak to us. Because we really believe that God has a word for us today, and let's ask him to speak into our hearts. So, so yeah, right now, would you join me? Heavenly Father, we come before you right now, and we just want to, first of all, we just want to say thank you. Lord, you have provided for your people yet again this week. You've been good to us. We can see, actually, your blessings around us. And so, Lord, we want to say thank you for that. Lord, I also have on my heart, and I know on the hearts of many people, those that are in a very hard place as a result of the last seven days. Maybe people who have lost a job, maybe people who have learned that school is not going to go back to normal, maybe different people around our city, business leaders or employees that they're really having to pivot a lot these days. God, would you meet them in that place? Lord, I think of the parents that are trying to to, to corral and to, to lead in different ways at home. God, would you bless them this morning? Or I think of the kids that are kind of caught in the middle of everything. God, would you speak a fresh word to our youth and to our kids today? And so, Lord, we come before you now, and we just wait in anticipation and expectantly, and we say, Lord, speak to us this morning. We long to hear from you. You're a good God. You see us and you know us. And so, Lord, right now we give you this time. We pray expectantly in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, we've been in this series around here called Greater Than, and I've loved this series because it's been actually so timely. This series, what we've been talking about is all the ways that God is greater than, and so we looked uh, early on at how greater, God is greater than our circumstances. Uh, then we talked about how God 
is greater than our doubts and how God is greater than maybe the fears that we face and how God is greater than our struggles and all of these kinds of things. And today what we're going to be talking about how is we worship a God that is greater than. We worship a God that is so great that he's actually beyond our comprehension. We worship a God that is so great that his greatness is beyond the things that our minds can actually grapple with. You know, I want to take you to a passage this morning that is the most referenced description of God in the Old Testament. It's a passage that I believe this morning what it will do for you is it will truly inform how you think about God. And when you have a different way of thinking about God, it changes how you respond to God. And so you might respond to a God to God in a brand new way this coming week. That's my prayer for you. We're going to answer questions like this today. Who is God? A question like this. What is the character of God? Uh, we're going to talk about today, what is he like? And then in light of all of those things, the character of God, what God is like, who is he? We're going to talk about in light of all of that, then how do I respond? What does that look like? What wells up in me? How does it affect my emotions and my thoughts? How does it affect how I look at the coming week and I say, I'm going to tackle that week. I've got a renewed sense of hope. I believe that you'll get that from the text that we're going to look at today. But I want to begin this way. I want you to imagine that you're on board a ship, a prestigious ship, and you're out at sea, and this isn't a, like a luxury cruise ship. I want you to imagine that you're aboard a ship that has a specific mission. Uh, maybe think of it this way. Think massive aircraft carrier. Think um, a very critical, maybe another kind of naval ship, but it's big, and it's got a mission, and it's going somewhere. And since you're imagining this, I want you to imagine, because it's our imaginations, let's go to a good place, I want you to imagine that no one is sick on the boat. No one has, this is like a pre-COVID-19 boat, and so no one has the virus, no one even has a sniffle, no one even has allergies on this boat, okay? What great news, huh? And so you're on this boat, but here's the twist. There's a storm at this sea. And what you're experiencing on this boat is something that the crew has never experienced before. You're experiencing waves that are higher than ever. You're experiencing a furious, relentless storm at sea. It's huge. It's the kind of storm that even the most senior sailors on the ship are saying things like this. We've never experienced this before. And the longer, actually, that this storm lasts, the more worried we are about its impact and how this is all going to play out. That's the kind of ship that you're on. You know, I remember when I was just a boy, um, I was probably about eight years old, I was with my older brother and my mom and my dad, and we were, we were in a boat, and the boat broke down, and it bro broke down at a very bad time because there was a storm that was coming. And as we sat there in the water, the storm came. And I don't know about you, but there are different places that I don't want to be in the middle of a storm. But at the top of the I don't want to be places in a storm, at the very top of that list, undoubtedly for me at least, is I don't want to be on the water. If you've ever been on the water in the midst of a storm, you understand what I'm talking about. You see lightning strikes coming your way. You begin to feel the wind change and pick up and the temperatures drop. And you begin to feel the rain begin to pound it's horrifying. And I remember as a boy being petrified in this moment, but the one thing that made a huge difference for me on that boat that day was this. It was the person who was at the helm. It was my dad. 
And in that moment, my dad did everything that he could to get that boat running, but that didn't work. And so he moved very quickly to plan B. And he got out the emergency, you know, those little bitty paddles, and he got to the front of the boat, and he worked as hard and as fast as he could to get that boat over to shore so that his family could get to safety. And to this day, Whenever we are in a boat and we're going past that place where this all took place, I look up at this big brown A-frame home and I remember that was where we took shelter. But the thing that made the difference for me that day was the person who was at the helm. Back to that boat that you're on, the ship. Again, the storm is going crazy, but the greatest question The greatest thing, the most important question that is on the minds of any crew member on that boat isn't how long is the storm going to last necessarily. And the greatest question isn't necessarily, well, how furious is the storm going to get? The greatest question for anyone on that boat is this, who's at the helm? And if the answer to that question is, there is someone who is competent, there is someone who is strong, there is someone who is courageous. If that's the answer to that question, everyone on board that ship can breathe. Isn't it true that the character of who is at the helm, it changes everything? What I love about the passage that we're going to be looking at today is this. It's so practical, and it's so descriptive of our God. You know, for some of you, you were in a storm well before COVID-19. For others of you, like myself, you find yourself in the middle of this storm, and it's the greatest storm you've ever experienced in your lifetime. Uh, I was on a call this week with some different leaders, and, and this guy that was mentoring the group, he said this, and he's led through multiple downturns and crises over several decades. He's an older gentleman, and, and he said this. He said, I don't know of a time in history when there has been such a, such a collective sense of lost security than what we are feeling right now. You know, so many of you, you're used to, like I am, you're used to predictability. And what I love about predictability is predictability brings stability. But when there is no predictability, you don't feel very stable. That's how things are right now. Some of you this week, you lost a job. You're, you're living in that. And that might even bring you some, maybe some guilt or maybe some shame or just the weight of that. For others of you, you're living in isolation right now. And that brings a whole set of emotions for you. Others for you, you learned this week that school is not going to resume. And that's just, I mean, that's internally. You think about your friends and all the different things that come with that. There's nothing that's stable about any of that. You know, one guy... On a different call this week, like you, I feel like I live on Zoom these days. But this guy said this. He said to one of the other people on the call, he said, how are you doing? And that person's reply was, it's day by day. It's just day by day. And then somebody else interjected right away and just said, no, no, not for me. It's, it's like minute by minute. It's like minute by minute. Things are constantly, constantly changing. I had a moment this week. Maybe you've been having some of these. I had a moment this week, about midweek, and I just kind of hit the wall emotionally. And I was just like, wow, it was like one of those times where I was just like, mm, man, this is hard. But I got to tell you, everybody, and as one of your pastors, I'm just praying that these, this text this morning would speak so deeply to you, because today we're going to turn 
Exodus chapter 34. And everybody, we're going to see a description of who our God is that I kid you not, it has the potential to allow you to wake up for this coming week each day and to be able to go, okay, if that's the God who is at the helm, then I can get through this storm. And not only can I get through this storm, but I'm going to find a way to thrive in the midst of it. And so if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn there with me. Maybe you're going there on our app. That's fine, too. However you get there, get to the book of Exodus chapter 34. This is a wise passage, honestly, for us to go back to often, but particularly, I think, in the middle of a storm. When we get to Exodus chapter 34, know this about this passage. This is, in a sense, you could say, this is God's self-disclosure statement. This is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible, meaning this, that as the Bible is written and different authors are contributing to God's word, the different writers went back to these verses again and again and again. It's like a drumbeat that they wanted to keep hitting. It's like a message that they wanted to remind themselves of. They didn't want to forget the description of God that is made in this passage. Who's at the helm? They wanted to be reminded. When David wrote Psalm 86, Psalm 103, Psalm 145, he quoted these words. When different prophets like Joel and Jonah, when, when, when they were writing their books, what, what were they doing? Same thing. There were times when they were referring back to this passage. You could think of it this way. The, the verses that we're going to look at, not a whole lot of them today, very short passage, but it's like ground zero as you and I think about this. Who is God? Who is he? So let me recap for you really quickly where we've been so far. If you start in Exodus chapter 1, we're going to be in 34 today. I want to tell you very quickly what's happened. So, so far what we've seen in the book of Exodus is that God's people are living in bondage. They're living in slavery. And that slavery has gone on for a long time. They've been in bondage for 400 years. You talk about a storm, folks. And so as they go through that storm, what we see, though, is they come to the end of that period of time, and God miraculously delivers them. We see the, the, the parting of the Red Sea. And then from there, they get the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And, and I got to tell you, though, that all throughout all of these different moves and all of these different ways and that the people change and all the different things that they experience, they are constantly a rebellion, rebellious people. They get the Ten Commandments and they blow it majorly right after that. They're living in a period of time where they're choosing again and again to rebel against God. But in the midst of it all, their leader, Moses, he's talking to God as if he's communicating to God on their behalf. And so he's seeking God. And what we're finding is this, is that Moses, as Moses talks to God, God doesn't give up on his people. God persists in relationship with them, which is so refreshing to me, and I'm sure to many of you. Well, we come to, Moses, uh, to Exodus chapter 34, we're going to see an answer to what, one of the things that Moses prayed for. So Moses is going to God on behalf of the, the people, and he's dialoguing with God. And, and what's really neat, it's kind of a side note, that, that God talks to Moses in a special way. That when God saw Moses, it was as though he was seeing a friend, and he spoke to him like he was face-to-face -face with him. And then as that progresses, we see that Moses says something to God. He says something to him very powerful. He says, Lord, would you show me your glory? Put another way, 
God, would you show me what you're like? And what I love about this is that Moses already knew God. But in the midst of knowing God, Moses was leaning in even further, and he was saying, Lord, I know who you are. I'm like a friend to you. We talk face to face like that. And, but God, I want to know you more. It's like you're down, you know, you're eating a very, very, very good meal. And you compliment the cook. And it's one thing to say, that was good, but it's another thing to say, can I have more? And then it's another thing to say, you know, this might seem rude, but can I have a third helping? And when you're leaving, you say, doggy bag, can I take some of that home? Moses is saying, Lord, I know who you are. And Lord, I've experienced that you are good. And since I've experienced that you're good, Lord, I'm saying to you, I want to know you more. God, would you show me? God, show me your glory. God, God, show me what you're like. God, show me who is at the helm. Show me more of you. And I thought of all of us listening this morning, and my prayer for us is this. It's that in the midst of this storm, everyone, we would lean in. Because oftentimes, it's true, we've talked about it before, that when you come to a, a really a crossroads like this is for all of us, and you come to a crisis in a storm like this, some people veer away from God while others, they cling to him. My encouragement for us this morning is that we would be the kind of people that we would say, Lord, would you show me your glory? God, would you display your goodness to me? God, would you reveal your heart to me in these moments? We're going to see in this passage that, very small passage again, but it, it, it displays these different names of God. These different ways that identify the character of God. Now, if you know anything about a name in the scripture, scriptures, in Bible times, names were very important. You, did, you just didn't name people flippantly. And then, you know, just, hey, Frank, we'll just call him Matt. We'll call that my guy per Herbert, you know? No, no, not, not at all. Names carried great meaning. It speaks of the character of a person, how you named them. And so Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, let me read this with you. It says this, and he, the Lord passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But then it says, And yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generations. Now, I want you to think about actually the second half of this passage first. Know this, that God doesn't overlook sin, that there's actually consequences to sin, that we worship a God, everybody, who is a just God. And I've never talked to anybody who would want that any other way. He's justice. He's just. And that's important. But before God ever talks and before this passage ever talks about judgment, before that's ever uh, mentioned... And this is coming, everybody, remember this, this is coming to a people that have rejected the goodness of God. So, but before he ever talks about judgment, he reminds them of who he is. And it's this passage, it's like piles of the goodness of God. The focus of this passage is on the goodness of God. And so I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that you're living in 1500 BC. And I want you to imagine that you're in the Middle East, which is... I want you to imagine modern-day Saudi Arabia. I want you to imagine that you're in the desert. I want you to imagine that you're at the foot of Mount Sinai. 
And if that's you, you've been raised in a culture and in a world where there are all sorts of gods and goddesses. But the thing that is true about the majority of those gods and goddesses is that they are mean-spirited gods. They don't have your best interest in mind. For many of the gods that were worshipped at that time, those gods demanded things like child sacrifices. They were evil. They were malicious. I want you to imagine the contrast it must have been, though, in the minds of these people at the foot of Mount Sinai on the day when they heard this description of the God that they were worshiping. I want to highlight some of these words from this passage again because I believe that when our perspective about who God is is right, it changes how we respond. Notice what it says in verse 6. It says, the Lord, the Lord, and I, I love how it's, a, it's like a proclamation the Lord, the Lord, who is at the helm? This one. What is he like? I'm about to tell you. God's going to say, hey, this is the one. These are the words that describe the God that you and I and that Moses and that all of those people were worshiping in the midst of their own storm. It says this about him. The Lord, the Lord, he is compassionate and gracious God. The compassionate and gracious God. Everybody, that means this. It means that God sees you. It means that, that God is not distant from you right now. It means that if you're feeling pain, God hears you. God knows you. God is not absent. It says this in Psalm 103, verse 13. Be encouraged, church. It says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You know, if you ever want to see the heart of a parent moved, even the heart of like maybe the most rough, tough, mean-spirited, you know, old, you know, tough old man, dad kind of a guy. You know what I'm talking about? If you want to see that heart even turn to mush, put a child with a need in front of that man. And you'll see his heart turn. Watch a dad listen as his daughter talks to him. The bond that a parent has with a child it's one of incredible compassion. Everybody think about this. The creator God, he has compassion. He has feelings. This, these verses say, Psalm 103, he has feelings for those who fear him, those who are seeking him. And so if you're hurting during this time, know this, the compassion of God is for you, that God sees you, that God is not absent from you. Compassion here is a feeling word. Know this, though. Gracious, what's next? Gracious is a word that actually describes, in the original language, more of an action-oriented word. So our God, what is he? He is gracious. In other words, he is the kind of God that he is actively giving grace. He's the kind of God that when we approach him, not based on our own merit or our own behavior, that's a good thing, but he, just based solely on who he is, he's gracious. He gives mercy. He extends favor. It's not merited, but he gives it. It's like a father who longs to do good and to see joy come from their child, to see their needs met. Compassion enters in gracious says, I'm here. I'm actively meeting your needs. I'm hearing your prayers. I'm your heavenly father. I'm not leaving you. 
It may feel like there is complete uncertainty and things are absolutely unstable, but God, he's at the helm and he is saying to us, he is the gracious, the compassionate, and the gracious God, and he is not going anywhere. He enters in. I love it. In John chapter 11, at the death of Lazarus, what is the response of Jesus Christ? The response of Jesus is he wept. He fully entered in. That's the kind of God that we can worship. Let's keep moving. Notice what it says next. Again, this is God's self-disclosure statement. Who am I? I am also. I am slow to anger. We all understand what it's like to be quick to anger. It's the parent that has a short fuse. It's the employer that just keeps losing at work. It's the teenager that just blows up and slams the door. That's being quick to anger. This week, I forfeited yet again the Father of the Year Award. I had one of those moments, I actually had multiple, um, where I was, I was actually fairly quick to anger. And at one time, I even had to do an apology to the entire family all at once. I can be quick to anger, particularly I'm finding in this season. Some of you, you're doing two hours of math homework every night for the first time with your kids, and you're about to check yourself into a room with padded walls. You understand what it means to be quick to anger. But know this, God, the very nature of God at the core of his character, he is patient. He is slow to anger. Older translations, they refer to it as this. They call it long-suffering. So there are times when, yes, God does get angry, but that's his righteous anger. And when he gets angry, it's because of the evil that he sees. But God, at his core, he is patient. At his character level, he is not volatile. He's patient and enduring. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says that he is patient with you and that he wishes that every single person on planet Earth would actually turn to him. This might be the biggest trial that you've ever been through. This might be the time in your life when you turn to God. That would be the smartest, the most wisest thing that you could possibly do. Let's keep going in this passage. Notice the next thing that it says about God. It says this about him, that he's abounding in love and in faithfulness. To abound means to overflow and then some. And what this passage is saying, that we have a God that abounds in love at the very core, at the very center of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's love. But notice this in this passage, love is tied to what? Love is tied to faithfulness. So he's abounding in love, but he's also abounding in faithfulness, which means this, that the love of God isn't going anywhere. That the love of God, that the truth of God, that who God is, that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, abounding, motivated by love, it's not going anywhere. He's absolutely faithful. He is committed to each one of us. You know, many of you, you have weathered some pretty severe storms in your life. For some of you, those storms have been personal, on the personal front. For some of you, they've been vocational. For some of you, you've gone through a storm with a community of people even. 
And for many of you, as you've gone through a storm, you've seen the faithfulness of God. And you, you can look back and you've got maybe some scars and some wounds and some hard memories, but you saw how God pulled you through. You even remember the time when you didn't know if you would get through, you didn't know when it would end, but you look back and you go, the bounding love of God and the faithfulness of God proved to be true. And the fact that you have that, the fact that you've already walked through some of those things, I'm noticing this, it's allowing some of you to walk differently. For many of you, you're walking actually in the midst of chaos, you're walking with a sense of peace. You're walking with courage and confidence. And you're doing that not because you trust in yourself, because everything's unstable, that's not a good idea, but you're doing that because you know the character of the one who is at the helm, and it's allowing you to rise up in this time. Let's keep going. Notice what it says next. Verse 7, it says another description here. He's maintaining love to thousands, and this is important, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. The original word here used for forgiving, it means this. It means to lift or to carry. For some of you, that is the greatest phrase that you could take away from this message and from this passage, and that's this, that God can lift, God can carry, God can take away your sin. You and I do not deserve the grace of God, but out of his great love for us, Jesus Christ was sent so that our sin would not be something we have to carry, and so we can be forgiven we can be clean in the sight of God. We cannot have to pay a price for our sin in the presence of a holy God one day because Jesus already did that. And so when we trust in him, then what do we receive? We receive what this verse says. We, he is forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. And we receive that. I'm so glad he's at the helm. You know, the Israelites in this time, they needed this self-disclosure statement. The Israelites, they needed to know that's who God is. The Israelites needed to know this because there was doubt and there was confusion, but there was also this. There was uncertainty, there was instability, and there was a whole lot of fear. And these words would have motivated and encouraged them. This is who our God is. I love how A.W. Tozer, one writer, he put it like this. He said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Everybody, when we know who is at the helm, it changes everything. In the New Testament book of Matthew, Jesus is in a boat. And Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee this day, and a storm pops up, and people are terrified, petrified. It says this in verse 23, it says, Then he got into the boat with his disciples, and they followed him. And, and then suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, and so that the waves, they actually swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples went out, and they woke him, saying, Lord, save us, uh, we're going to drown. And he replied, You have little faith, why are you so terrified? And then he got up, and he rebuked the wind and the waves, and, and it was completely calm. And then it says that the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man, what kind of man is this? Even the wind, even the waves obey him. That day, those disciples got a reminder of who is at 
the helm, and they stood back, and they were in awe. And I guarantee you, they took a deep breath because they realized we are worshiping the one, Jesus Christ, who can calm the greatest storm of my soul. And so my hope for you this morning is that you've gotten a reminder who's at the helm. I hope that you've gotten a reminder that you worship a compassionate God. He is gracious. He sees you. He knows you. He's forgiving. He abounds in love, but he also abounds in faithfulness. And so his love for you, it's not going anywhere. So I want to leave you with this. I want to encourage you in two ways. The first one is this. Very practical, okay? Let's be practical because that's helpful, I think. I want you to write this verse out, okay? So I would do it today because you're going to forget and, and you'll be through the day before you know it and we'll be on to another week. And so please do this today. I want you just to write out this verse and put it somewhere where you'll see it. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Would you write out these words? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. He's maintaining love to thousands, and he's forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And every time that you read those words this week, I want to encourage you to do this next. I want you to proclaim this in your heart. I want you to decide this. I want you to say to yourself, I choose that God to be at the helm today. Because I don't know about you, but I chose to follow Jesus about uh, when I was 19 years old. But since that time, he's definitely been at the helm, but there are times when I want to get up in the helm. You know what I mean? And that's usually when my anxiety and my fear and and, and things begin to derail me. And so I want to encourage you. Would you proclaim, Jesus, I'm putting you at the helm. Jesus, you are in charge of this. And as a result of who you are, Lord, I will proceed at a whole different level. Lord, I will walk into this week with courage and confidence. God, I will choose joy. Lord, I will see blessing because they're all over the place. God, I will be different because I know who my God is. And then lastly, this is the second encouragement to you. And it's just, I hope this is practical and helpful for you. We have seen so many people be blessed by this. And it has impacted so many people's lives that I just want to mention this to you. You know, we're going to offer an online gathering. And so this doesn't matter where you're joining us. You could be in Iowa. You could be on Japan. It doesn't matter where you're joining us from right now in this moment this morning. You can join us for an online gathering for this gathering that we call Explore. And what it's designed to do is this. If you're learning things about the character of God, even as I've been teaching this morning, and you're saying, I didn't know that. I want to know more. I want to have more conversations about faith. This is a safe gathering for you. And so I want to encourage you, you can go to our website and you can sign up for it. It's going to start right after Easter. Even right now in the chat section on your screen, you can sign up. There's a link for it right there. But would you jump into that? Because here's the thing. Again, when you know who God is, when you know who is at the helm, it changes everything. And so I want to commend you for that journey. So right now what we're going to do is this, to close our service. We're going to sing a song together. And and wherever you are, I would encourage you, enter fully into this. And there's this line in the song that I want to direct you to. It says this. It says, that is who you are. And this morning, I just want to encourage you that wherever you are, would you proclaim those words? Would you proclaim who God is? 
Would you proclaim in your heart, God, you are gracious. God, you are compassionate. God, you haven't forgotten about me. God, you are faithful. God, you are abounding in love. God, you are the miracle worker. God, you are a promise keeper. You're faithful. And so in this moment now, would you just say to the Lord as we sing, this is who you are. And I'm drawing a line in the sand yet again. And I'm going to step into next week, but I'm going to step in a little bit differently because I'm going to, every day, I'm going to say, God, you're at the helm, and this is who you are. Wherever you are, would you pray with me now? Lord, Father, thank you for the reminder of who you are. Father, thank you for the reminder of your goodness and your grace and your abounding love. And God, that you forgive us. Maybe someone right now in this moment is approaching you for the very first time, and God, they're receiving your grace, God. And Lord, in these next moments, we just want to proclaim to you, we just want to say, God, this is who you are. As a people of God, we want to say, we declare, we worship you, because this is who you are. Lord, thank you for being at the helm. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's sing together.